This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, listeners. Just so you know, this episode was recorded in April. Thanks. I'm Kim France. And I'm Talia Vicassis. And welcome to Everything is Fine, a podcast for women over 40. We're here today doing a remote interview with Marissa Meltzer. Marissa writes the Me Time column for the New York Times style section, which is about first person fitness, beauty, wellness experiences. Her book, This Is Big, just came out. It's part biography of Jean Needich. Did I pronounce that right, Marissa? Nidich, who founded Weight Watchers and part memoir about trying to reckon with a lifetime of dieting. And I also have to add that Marissa is the author of How Sassy Changed My Life. Um, let's see if I'll get the subhead right. A Love Letter to the Greatest Teen Magazine of All Time, which was a really wonderful, wonderful book about the life of Sassy Magazine. So welcome, Marissa. Thank you. Thank you for having me. We've both been really excited to talk about all of this because it's such a topic. I mean, I have one friend who believes that no woman anywhere in captivity has a normal relationship with food. I think your friend is right. Yeah. You know, everybody seems to have some kind of drama around food, even people who, you know, work out and are very healthy. Um, But I remember I was talking to my mom right before um, we called each other and she was saying, you just tell her that I spent 50 years in Weight Watchers. And she did. My mother off and on throughout her life has spent 50 years in Weight Watchers. She does not have a weight problem. I don't think she ever had a weight problem. I think at most she only ever weighed 10 pounds more than she might have ideally weighed. But she, like, she isn't in Weight Watchers now, but it informs the way she eats entirely. Like the portions, she still uses the scale. Ooh, the scale. I have a similar, I have a mom like that who is extremely vigilant about what she eats and has never been overweight. And, you know, maybe when she went through menopause was like 10 or 15 pounds more than she normally was. But part of 
staying a certain size, especially throughout your life, especially after 40, is a constant vigilance that you can't let go. Like there's this fallacy that diets are something that you do and you go on and then you're done and then your life returns to normal. Maybe a little bit like the times we're living in. I don't know. But the fact is that a diet is something that you have to be on for the rest of your life. Right. Yeah, you said in the book it's like a low-level headache, which I liked. Yeah, a constant refrain. But, Kim, when you say that your mom was on Weight Watchers her whole life, how did that affect you? First of all, I grew up in a house with, like, the craziest ideas about what was healthy and what wasn't. Like, Coca-Cola was unhealthy, but Tab was very healthy. (laughs) very of our eras yeah totally good for you i i feel like it gave me a skewed perspective as did growing up in texas of what a normal body shape was you know Mm -hmm. and i when i was a teenager i maybe weighed five pounds more than i should have and i went off to weight watchers with her every wednesday Hmm. but you said your mom was obsessed with weight as well tally sounds like it's all of us yeah Yeah, my mom was overweight for most of my life, and she was on Weight Watchers for years. But I think the thing that affected me the most was she had this calorie counter book that was always on our kitchen counter. And I ended up knowing the calorie count of every single food. And I feel like a bit disordered myself in that I don't have a weight problem, but I think about calories when I eat. Even now, you think? Yeah. I'm always thinking about what I should be eating, and there are good foods and there are bad foods. Like there's a morality to it. There's a lot of morality around food in my mind, and it's shifted now from being calorie-based to being wellness-based, in quotes. But let's backtrack a minute to your book. Like your book is the parallel story of your own lifelong struggles with your body and with dieting and the story of Weight Watchers founder Jean Nidich. How did you get interested in Jean? I saw her obituary in the New York Times and first I had no idea that anyone had like invented Weight Watchers. I thought it was, I don't know, like Betty Crocker or something like it had just always existed. And then my immediate next reaction was like, who is this like demon? Like I'm going to have a face to blame for all of this pain in my life. She was this Jewish housewife from Brooklyn who lost weight and then taught her friends the diet and became a millionaire and dated famous people. And I also, I don't know, maybe like a little bit narcissistically immediately tied her story to my own, that it was going to be this book, not just about her, but about me trying to make sense of like, all of these years that felt wasted of yo-yo dieting. And I was um, about to turn 40 and had this overwhelming sense that I was just too old for some shit. And like, you know, certain friendships I just didn't need. Certain clothes just felt totally wrong all of a sudden. And also behavior. And I really wanted to have some kind of, I don't think closure is the right word, but like some kind of peace around my body and dieting and food. What I'm amazed by is how much shame there is around all of this, how much shame there is around weight gain and how much shame there is around eating, you know, quote unquote, wrong. Yeah, I think part of it is that 
it's it's this kind of private struggle, but it's so public. You can't hide the fact that you've gained weight and you can't police who notices it and you can't, you know, also like gauge their reactions. And it's also coded these ideas of like, you know, when someone goes, oh, wow, you look great. I know that means that they can tell that I've lost weight, for example. Um, when I when I went to uh, an online date and uh, the guy said like, oh, yes, yes, you are. When I introduced myself, I knew that wasn't probably a good sign. And mm. there's something about weight that's that really betrays us because it's it's on the body like there's no hiding from it you can't hide it from yourself because it's very easy to tell if you know shirt or pants are a tiny bit tighter and I have all this shame because I was very anorexic in high school and the thinnest that I ever have been and you know, really only maintain that for like high school. And you were doing drugs then, right? That was the main, that was the way yeah, that you. Yeah, and I, I just, I was doing drugs. I was doing laxative. I wasn't eating. You know, it was a real like cocktail of appetite suppressant tricks. Right. And the idea of going to a class reunion, it's, I mean, it's not something I'd really do anyway, but. It's extra sort of repellent to me because I have this idea that like, oh my God, I weigh so much more now than I did then and like how shameful and embarrassing when the reality is probably, I don't know, maybe not everyone would have dramatic weight gains like I had, but you know, we were talking about like a 25th high school reunion or whatever. People are definitely going to have different bodies than they did when they were 17 years old. It's interesting what you've been, what you're saying about um, not being able to hide weight gain. You know, I've gained weight over the past year, you know, not insignificant amount. And I feel like when I see people I haven't seen in a while, that's the headline. You know, there's nothing else they're going to see. And part of it is that I worked for a long time in a field where women were just preternaturally skinny, and I was too. I was very skinny for a while. Um, but I hate the idea that that's the first thing, that what nothing else I say or do is going to be of much consequence. And maybe this is some just me thinking this way, but because I've gained weight and that becomes the like, wow, Kim's gained weight. Hmm. Do you feel the need to like, um, like when I have a pimple, I feel the need to tell everyone to like yeah. get ahead of the news or something like that? Like I am much more furtive about my weight and just sort of don't want to talk about it. Are you honest with people or some people with it? Or do you hope that you just never have to acknowledge it? People I'm close to I'll talk about, but I never want to be that person going, oh, I'm so fat. I never want to be that way because it's it's doesn't do anything. It doesn't accomplish anything. It just makes me feel bad about myself and um, doesn't resolve the, doesn't bring the situation anywhere new. Um, so I'm likely to avoid it unless I'm talking to people I'm close to, and even then, I'm I'm not likely to bring it up. Yeah, it's easy to sound like a Kathy cartoon, real quick. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. 
I find that gaining weight for me is also dangerous because I refuse to diet. I refuse to diet on the grounds that that is when I become obsessed with food. It's sort of like a weird one thing follows the other. I am the same way. Like once I start dieting, I become obsessed with food and obsessed with my behavior. And I'll do things like skipping meals before weigh-ins, skipping meals plus doing like an hour long infrared sauna (laughs) before weigh-ins. Like just like my most private, most disordered behavior just immediately comes out. And None of that is good for me, and it just starts to take up my whole life. And, yeah, it's really shaky ground for me. I tend to just, like, immediately revert to my worst instincts. I have to say, I mean, I have to ask you, because you write so frankly about your relationship with food in a way that if you recognize that behavior is almost painful to read. Was that hard? Yeah, it was. I actually wrote all of the gene sections first as kind of one narrative, partly because I just knew it would be less emotionally wrenching. Mm -hmm. And then it came down to write my section. And yeah, it sucked. Also, it's not like something that you can just have a really painful day or week of writing it. It's like painful months of of really... um, you know, going deep into my feelings. But I also made a very conscious decision to write it that way because I've read books about body and weight and a lot of them are very coy. And there's this feeling that the writers aren't quite making eye contact with the readers and they'll do things like not even publish their weight. And I understand like there's a lot in the book that I'm not necessarily super enthusiastic about making public like my weight or certain Mm -hmm. behaviors. But I also felt like that was the only way that the book would really work for me. Once scene that I found really compelling is when um, Emily Blunt says to you, I can just eat a fraction of this brownie and feel so full and satisfied. And like, (laughs) I like Emily Blunt, but I wanted to punch Emily Blunt. Like, do you... Do you ever have feelings of like maybe unfair hostility towards naturally skinny people with seemingly normal relationships to food? Because I do. Yeah, all the time. Although I don't actually, actresses, I maybe I've just been around enough of them for my job. I don't actually think any of them have like normal relationships to food or models. I think that they all have to really watch what they eat. And maybe some, perhaps like Emily Blunt, are able to convince themselves that a bite is enough or that that's satisfying. But I heard a lot of models are always hungry. I'm sure they are. There's that line, I think, in Notting Hill when Julia Roberts says, I've been hungry for 30 years or 20 years. <laughs> yeah, there's like a Julianne Moore interview where she was like, yeah, I eat like nonfat yogurt and protein bars all day and it sucks and I hate it. You know, like these are the the compromises they have to make and it sucks. So, um yeah, I'm jealous of those people, but the people I'm even more jealous are are the people who I don't necessarily 
have an understanding that they're having to go those lengths. Like in some ways, influencers are even are more painful because I just think like, oh, she's just this like perfectly average girl who's like a size six or an eight and just like landed that way and has this super hot boyfriend and this like adorable country house that they're fixing up and on and on and on. And that's where like the real jealousy comes in or like a good friend of mine who I love seems to be pretty naturally thin and once did this like story that's hilarious where she ate all of this like junk food that I think was timed around the Super Bowl and I think she either ended it the same weight or maybe even like lost like 0.4 pounds and I was just like (laughs) if I did that I would have gained like 30 pounds or something like that is when I get really like this shit is not fair. You know, like that is the harder part to me more than the people who are like in the public eye. But the influencers on Instagram are also, there's so much work that goes into that lifestyle and their whole job is to make it all look so effortless. Yeah. It's like now I have more of an understanding of that, but it's easy for me to look past Mm -hmm. that work and just see the effortlessness. Well, the wellness industry or the wellness movement is one that's super big online now. Um, Can you talk about how it's not just about things like chia bowls or Buddha bowls, and it's also about selling a higher purpose other than vanity? Yeah, in a way, it's just another word for the way that we diet, right? Like, we're just Mm -hmm. all obsessed with clean eating all of a sudden. And clean eating happens to involve a lot of like coconut milk and avocados and chia seeds and oats and, you know, turmeric. And I definitely see it where these like super thin, super manicured women like, oh, no, they don't have anorexia. They don't have eating disorders. They would never diet because they're strong women who love themselves, but they will die before they drink cow's milk in their (laughs) lattes. It's not that wellness and those kinds of foods aren't necessarily healthy, but it's specific, right? Like, and curated. And the approach seems to have to do very little with what's actually good for you. Mm -hmm. But putting things under the umbrella of wellness is almost just a way of making dieting seem more worthy. And it's very aspirational. And the more you can afford all these rarefied items, like oat milk is not cheap. And what are those other things? Adaptogens. Oh, yeah, definitely. Like only certain people have the privilege of time and money to be able to keep track of all these things and apply them to their lives. They all remind me of like Victorian ladies with like various (laughs) sort of like snake oil, like strange supplements and like fainting and just, you know, such terror of the mundane. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. I'm very susceptible to it, though, as I said at the beginning. Like, I do like to feel like I'm doing right by my body and doing the right things. and But I like to be able to deconstruct it as well so that I feel like I'm not just blindly following. Yeah, totally. Although I don't drink oat milk. It comes in beautiful packages sold by attractive people. And also, you know, the medical field has this, like, terrible track record of, like, paying attention to women and our problems and 
who doesn't want like that silver bullet answer to all of our problems? Like, yeah, I'm just as susceptible to anyone else. If we went to my kitchen right now, you would just see stacks and upon stacks of adaptogen powder blends. So many. <laughs> oh, really? I haven't actually tried it. <laughs> I just was, it was like a buzzword that I. Yeah, I've never met like a reishi blend that I wasn't like, ooh, yeah, I want to try that. <laughs> I feel like such an idiot. All I know, I mean, I know the word adaptogens. I've seen it used in in contexts, but I know nothing about it. I think that that is evidence that you've done a really good job of giving distance from your life as magazine editor. Because if you were still editing a magazine, you'd be like, I never want to see another adaptogen because we've done all of these pages and pages of like adaptogen spreads, you know. That's funny. Mm-hmm. We're going to take a quick break for some ads. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Support for Everything is Fine comes from Ritual. So I love Ritual. Everyone knows I love Ritual. I talk about Ritual all the time. I particularly love its daily, their daily multivitamin, and I also really have been enjoying their melatonin. But the thing I love most about Ritual is their Hyacera. It's a once-daily skin supplement that's clinically proven to reduce wrinkles and fine lines and increase skin smoothness in 90 days. In a clinical study, Hyacera led to 3.6 times reduction in crow's feet wrinkles within 90 days as compared to a placebo. Hyacera led to 2.9 times increase in skin smoothness within 90 days as compared to a placebo. You can enhance your skincare routine from the inside out with one daily capsule, essenced with soothing vanilla. I love Hyacera. It's been rigorously tested and validated. It's one of the industry-leading sustainability. It, it meets, sorry, all of the industry-leading sustainability standards. You know I'm a beauty editor now. I am all about keeping my face plump, and Hyacera absolutely has done that for me. I've been on it for months. I don't even know how long, and I can really see a difference in the texture of my skin. My skin looks 
more juicy, I guess is the best way to do it. Say it, do it. Uh, okay. So you can start Hyacera to help minimize wrinkles without compromising on clean science. Hyacera from Ritual is a clinically proven skin supplement you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash fine. Start Ritual or add Hyacera to your subscription to get today. That's ritual.com slash fine for 25% off. Welcome back to Everything is Fine. Weight Watchers was another private way that women had to work to keep up with the labor of femininity, it seems like. But I'm curious, was there something empowering, too, about those early meetings? I think that Jean Nightage had this brilliant idea around community that no one had really applied to weight. Like, there were Overeaters Anonymous meetings at the time, but they had just started right around the time that... Weight Watchers started. And I think the idea of community is really important for anything that's difficult to go through. And it's certainly something that Weight Watchers still has. Um, you talk in the book also about being the wrong kind of feminist, like that there's old school feminists who say that taking pleasure and being admired for our looks is minimizing our brains and power and good feminists don't diet. So what do you do with that? For me, I felt really stuck in a kind of dichotomy between the idea of, okay, if I diet, that means that I hate myself and I'm a tool of the patriarchy and I'm a betrayer to the feminist cause. And if I go towards body acceptance, I felt like I wasn't good at actually loving myself. And what if I felt like I actually would be healthier if I lost some weight? So... I think that we need to kind of move away from those two extremes into some sort of more holistic idea. For me, it's understanding that I'm always probably going to have some knowledge of like feeling guilty about what I eat and and sort of policing myself. That that's probably never going to go away, nor is the desire to change my body but also that I understand that dieting isn't always a shortcut to what I want. You know, like it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to meet the man of my dreams or that it's going to change my career or my friendships or even really how I feel about my myself and my life. And so with all of that knowledge, I can kind of go forward as someone who is more self-aware more vulnerable about my real emotions about my body because I, I feel like i can relate to so much of what you're saying i'm a slim person but just because of the way that i've policed myself my whole life that it's very hard to let go of those things and that i don't want to always be thinking about whether what i'm eating is good or bad but i just can't seem to break out of it like how do you change a whole lifetime of thinking a certain way. And you touched about that in the book as well. Something else that I wanted to get to, which is the body positivity movement. Like, how do you change the way you think? Yeah, I think it's I think it's pretty impossible. How do you just go like, okay, now I'm just I'm just going to love my body. Like, that's just what it is now. I, I don't think that we can really change the way that we feel about things. Or if we do, it probably takes a lot of therapy and a <laughs> whole lot of time. And um 
that that's part of what's beautiful about the human experience is that we have these emotions and we're not totally in control of them. And so for me, body acceptance just felt like another way that I was failing as a feminist. And so I think, you know, that beauty standards should be broadened and that a lot of the way that fat people are treated in the world is very deeply unkind. But in some ways, it feels like it gets watered down the same way that feminism gets watered down into this kind of like, you're strong, like you go girl, like you love yourself kind of message. Mm -hmm. And that feels so hollow. I love this line in the book that our society veers between impossible standards of beauty and seemingly impossible standards of acceptance. Because that it's so hard to get there. Yeah, we're obsessed with this idea of having it all and the body and the acceptance and the perfect feminism and the whole performance of all of that is another version of having it all that we haven't even really talked about as a culture. Right. I I guess there was one another thing in the book that you said that I didn't exactly understand the line. Why do you say that body acceptance doesn't hold up to any level of intellectual rigor? At the time, I was doing a lot of body acceptance work, and a lot of it had to do with sort of like fake it till you make it kind of games that we had to play with ourselves, like looking into the mirror and, you know, apologizing to our bodies or naming parts of our bodies that we thought were attractive um, doing things like following people who were larger than us on Instagram in order to kind of adjust our eyes. And part of my problem was that with diets, there's kind of a to-do list in forward motion about what to do. And with body positivity, it was much more sort of in the air and heady and just involved these kinds of like exercises that to me felt dumb. And I thought, you know, if I truly had a nice body or was attractive, like I wouldn't have to be doing these kind of exercises to convince myself of it. And also that the world often treated me badly. And it was like, it just felt like it was all on me to try to do some tricks with my, with my brain that wasn't working. I am such a sort of a, intellect first kind of person and that's how the world has always related to me that it was hard to try to embrace something that wasn't about thought. So a friend told me about a food trend called intuitive eating where you eat when you're hungry and what you eat what your body tells you it wants. Mm -hmm. In a way it seems so bizarre that we have to define that as a concept since it's probably just the way humans should be. And so it, it kind of blew my mind a bit. <laughs> it feels almost remedial that we have to learn that. But I, I have also tried that. And I immediately gained like 15 pounds and only wanted to eat like fried chicken. <laughs> <laughs> I think people sort of paraded around as this kind of like... Um, cure-all or, or something. I don't know. If it works for them, that's great. But it it wasn't... I wish something that easy would sort of solve my problems, <laughs> but it doesn't. 
just being able to have honest conversations is a huge first step, I think, for everyone. And probably sounds easier than it is. Each body has a very different struggle. And in the same ways, it's all a similar struggle. Right. I do not share the struggle of Emily Blunt. <laughs> we don't know. We don't know what her real struggle is. I imagine there's a lot there. No, it's true. And I do have great empathy. I do have great empathy for models and actresses and other people who have to stay professionally thin and whose entire self-image depends on that and image out in the world. I, I, I actually have a fair amount of empathy for them. So I shouldn't, shouldn't be so quick. It's their livelihoods. And I've spoken to teenage girls. When I was the editor of Lucky, I went and spoke to several groups of teenage girls. And the amount that they were affected by, you know, in those days, magazines were a bigger deal than they are now. And and they felt very persecuted by the images in those magazines. And I, I just said to them, that is their job. That's what they do. They work out every day, at least once a day. They police everything they eat. Like, it sounds like a really bad job to me. Yeah, not to mention their livelihood. But your point, though, about Ashley Graham, I thought was a good one. You know, she has perfect proportions. She's, and I think that's, the t- if, if we're seeing body positive women, but the body, po- that seems like an even more impossible standard. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand how you can be a size 16 and still have a flat stomach, but like, <laughs> God bless her, you know? Um, I, yeah, I mean, I think that it's like, it's 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 a big deal that she's on the cover of Vogue. When I was growing up, no one that size was. So I'm not going to pretend like that's not progress. But the idea that she is accessible is what's messed up, especially because it's like, what is, access, is accessible supposed to be? Like her body type is really no more accessible to me than um, any other models is really. And this idea that she should somehow be more of the people or that there's like um, a huge amount of like progress that has been made by allowing like such a beautiful person to be famous and, and celebrated for her body is, you know, pretty messed up. But I guess it just shows how small the steps are and how long we have to go. Yeah. Right. Thank you so much, Marissa. Obviously, we want to tell people to check out the book, This Is Big, by Marissa Meltzer, wherever you buy books. Uh, Is there another way you want people to find you? All social media is at Marissa Meltzer, and I have marissameltzer.com for, you know, events, articles, whatever. Cool. Thanks so much for listening to Everything is Fine. We are your hosts, Talia Bacassis and Kim France. If you like the show, be sure to rate it and write us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have suggestions for show ideas or anything else, email us at tallyandkim at gmail.com. We also have an Instagram that is EIF Podcast, and you can find Kim on her blog, girlsofacertainage.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.